I'm calling this I am a child of God and um, we'll see where that takes us. I want to start reading from Galatians chapter 3 and then I'm going to move straight through into chapter 4, the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage or a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children or underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now Paul was facing a heresy really in the Galatian church at this time that new Gentile Christians who were not Jews would have to adopt certain Jewish rites before they could be accepted as Christians including circumcision. And this letter was sent as a circular to those churches that he had founded in the Roman province of Galatia, hence the name Galatians, churches like Antioch, Derby, and Lystra, to address this lie, which we would now call fake news. But the good news that Paul preached was that it's through faith in Christ that we are saved, and it's not through legalistic procedures um, belonging to the old law. And he sets this out very clearly in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 of Galatians. Um, verses, indeed, that inspired Luther to launch what became known as the Reformation. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. It's faith in Christ Jesus 
that enables us to be saved. And many people struggle with justification by faith because really it seems too simple. They feel that to receive something as important as eternal life, really they must have to earn it in some way, whether through good works or through following some kind of legal framework. It's very difficult for people to accept that the only thing you have to do to be saved is to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And people struggle with that. They think, surely I've got to do something about it. But no, Paul is very clear here. And throughout the New Testament, we understand that the only thing that we have to do to be saved is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that through his death on the cross, he paid the price for our sins so that we might enjoy reconciliation with God once and for all. It's by faith that we are saved, not by works. And Paul makes this even clearer in um, Galatians chapter 3 when he draws a contrast between the time before Jesus came when we were slaves to the principles of the world and the world order and did not know spiritual freedom and afterwards when we enjoyed all the privileges of being the adopted sons or the children of God. He makes a clear contrast between those two periods. And he makes a comparison between an heir who is still a child, who what he calls underage, who cannot have any control or influence over what has been promised to them until the time that has been set for them by their father. And he compares that with how we were before the time came for us to accept Jesus into our lives. Before we accepted Jesus, we had no control, really, over our spiritual destiny. Um, Or at least it's all going the wrong way. But once Jesus arrived, then we could assume this new relationship with God as we received him into our hearts and we could put behind us the shackles of our previous existence, the slavery that Paul writes about, and then assume all the rights and the privileges of the children of God. And God has guaranteed and underwritten our right to be his child. And he treats us as such. So sonship or daughterdom, it's a state of being that we receive as soon as we ask Jesus into our lives. This is a promise of God. It is an absolute certainty um, and cannot be denied. That is what happens when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, when we receive him, we become children of God. That's all we need to do. 
So this is really a very important principle that Paul wanted to make clear to the Galatians because he was distressed that his preaching of the gospel, the true gospel, was being distorted further down the line by people in these churches who were saying to the Gentiles um, that, well, if you want to become a Christian, you've got to be circumcised. And that was not the gospel. That was not the gospel that, that Paul preached. And he just wants to set the record straight. You don't have to do anything apart from believe that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Christ, that it is Jesus who has saved us from our sins, and if we trust in him, then it's okay, I'll be fine. If we trust in him, then we will be saved. And that's what he wants to get across in this scripture. Now, we, and Paul makes a distinction in that passage I read at the beginning, it really doesn't matter what our background is, what our circumstances are, or who we are. Because once we've received Jesus into our lives, then we're all one family, the children of God. And in God's eyes, we are all his children and equally loved by him. Now, in Paul's time, there was this great contrast between those coming from a Jewish background and those from a Gentile or non-Jewish background. And their experiences would have been very different. So Jews would have been brought up with the observation of the law and very particular expectations about how they would live day by day. It was all laid out very clearly for them. Um, but Gentiles would have been brought up in a pagan society where none of that mattered. And they would have had very little appreciation of who God was. So you've got these two groups of people living entirely different lives with entirely different experiences in the same place. And that's really what we have here today um, in Downham Market, we have people who are Christians and we have people who aren't Christians. And there's a huge gulf between the backgrounds and the experiences of those two groups. But once people become Christians, then whatever's happened in the past is irrelevant um, and it cannot influence their present state because God seals us with his Holy Spirit and ensures that we know that we are his children, irrespective of what we may have been like previously. Now, in the early church, both those groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, who had accepted Jesus into their lives, were one in Christ. So Christians from a Jewish background couldn't lord it over Gentiles and assume that they were superior beings because they had been Jews. And Gentiles couldn't continue worshipping their idols and indulging in sexual immorality as they would have done because their past, whatever it was, had to be put behind them 
when they became children of God. The past is put behind us because we come into a new family with new rights, new responsibilities and new expectations. And we also may have come to Christ from different starting points. Some of us may have been brought up in Christian families and others may have come from families that had no Christian connections. Some of us may have enjoyed comfort and security as we were growing up and others may have had very difficult lives. But whatever our experiences, once we accepted Jesus into our lives and were baptised in public recognition of our faith, then that slate was wiped clean. And as Christians, we have the same Heavenly Father and the same Lord, and it's the same Holy Spirit who guides us. We're not defined by our past. We're defined by who we are in Christ as children of God. I think that's quite important to say that we are not defined by our past, whatever that has been. In verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul said, Because you are his sons, his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, constantly reminding us that we are the sons of God. We're his children, justified, sanctified, reconciled, at one with God, possessing all the privileges and rights afforded to a son. And if we sort of move into the secular world at the moment, if we think about, say, Prince William, the son of a worldly king, with all the rank and the privileges that he has and the opportunities that he's been given and also the responsibilities that he must hold, nobody is saying that he's not the son, that he's not entitled to that because he was born the son of the king. And by birth, he's the heir. And when his time comes, he too will wear the crown. There's an inevitability to that. Well, let's think about Prince George, William's son. He's the son of the heir. But at the moment, to use Paul's analogy, he's like a slave because he's got none of the freedoms of the heir because he's still a child. So he's subject to his parents' will. He has to do what he's told. He has to go where he's told. And he will remain so until he's grown up enough to take on board some of the responsibilities and his father decrees that now he is of an age where he can assume the rights of the heir-in-waiting. But no one is questioning Prince George's right to be the son. That is a given. So these individuals were born into the royal family and they really had no say in the matter but we have been born again. And we are born of the Spirit 
the Spirit of God, and we chose of our own free will to become part of God's family. It's a decision that we took. So we have been given a second chance to make peace with God, to live a life worthy of his calling and to take on the responsibilities of his heirs, God's heirs here on earth. And just as the impact of the royal family will wane, if its heirs show no interest in it and do not put their shoulder to the wheel, so the work of God will be disrupted if we, his heirs, show little interest in what he has for us to do. And I can tell you it's more interesting than cutting ribbons and planting trees. Yes, True sons have rights and privileges, but they also have duties and responsibilities. And in the royal family, we can see how much things can go awry when princes would rather not do their duty or prefer to put their own personal interests before the interests of the crown. We can see the impact that that has had. And in the same way, we have a duty to follow the teachings of Jesus and a responsibility to carry out the work of God in our daily lives to the best of our ability because if we choose not to or we choose to follow our own personal pleasures instead, he will not be able to make use of us and the body of Christ as a whole will be weakened. So we carry a heavy responsibility through being children of God. And you may think that you're a very small cog in heaven's wheel, but even one small cog failing to work efficiently will affect the performance of the whole. And in God's eyes, you are not a small cog. In his eyes, You are absolutely crucial and he is willing you to succeed. But for that to happen, firstly, we have to accept who we are in God's family and realise that we are indeed a child and his heir and not doubt it, not question our legitimacy And secondly, we have to willingly and joyfully take on all that he has for us to do without complaining and without shirking. And including his letter to the, in concluding his letter to Galatians, Paul said this in in chapter 6, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's a privilege to be a child of God. It was bought at a cost, but not our cost. It was Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, and it was his body 
that was broken in propitiation for our sins. We freely accepted Jesus into our hearts and we've asked him to become our saviour. So now we are his. But with this amazing gift comes the responsibilities of being part of a family, God's family. And we all have roles to play and we all have a responsibility to get along. In many walks of life, people mix with like-minded people or people from a similar background, and that helps them to get along. And in one sense, this is true of a church because we all have our love of Jesus in common. But in other ways, we may be very different indeed. And just as in any family, people don't see eye to eye all the time, and they have to work at staying united. And I think church history tells us that even Christians have not always been brilliant at doing that. But if Paul emphasises salvation through faith in his letter to the Galatians, he also emphasises getting along. And in chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, he says... For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So quite strong words there. And we only have to look at the very sad state of affairs in the royal family between Prince Harry and his brother and father to see how devastating family rifts can be. Paul was ever the peacemaker and pleaded with warring Christians in the churches that he had set up to be reconciled one to another, just as Christ had reconciled them to himself. We often see that in Paul's letter. But we will rightly be judged by a higher standard than the world uses because our whole faith is grounded in love and peace. So people will look at us and how we behave and draw their own conclusions if we can't get along with one another. So in many ways I would say that the letter to the Galatians is one of Paul's more challenging letters. Parts of it are very particular to that time and place, but many of the themes that he explores are universal. He stresses that we are indeed children of God and should behave as such, receiving the privileges and rights such sonship bestows, but also taking upon ourselves the duties and the responsibilities that go with being God's heirs. And he assures us that the Spirit of God is at work in our hearts, reminding us who we are in Christ and of that loving, intimate relationship we enjoy with Abba Father, our loving Heavenly Father. But he also warns us against losing sight of our calling of becoming distracted or wayward or worse still, falling out 
with one another and losing that unity that so binds us together. So I believe that there is no greater joy than knowing that I am a child of God. But I'm also mindful of the fact that there is no greater responsibility than being his child and his heir either. So let us enjoy the former and let us fulfill the latter. I just want us to close our eyes for a moment. And you may have been sitting there thinking, what on earth was he going on about? Um, because you, you have not received Jesus Christ into your heart. You have not made a choice to become a member of God's family. You are still living the old life that you were born into. And it may be quite a contented life in some ways, but you are missing out on all that God has to offer you. Here, now, but also for eternity. So it's an important decision that we all have to make at some point in our lives. Do we want to continue as slaves, um, like children, whose lives are at the mercy, really, of the vicissitudes of circumstance. We may feel we have control of our lives, but actually, many times, events are pushing us one way or another. We have concerns, we have fears. We don't really know the direction we're going. Or are we willing to turn from that old life and begin a new life in Christ where there is certainty and there is promise and there is hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. We will have to turn away from what we know is wrong, from our sins. We will have to repent of what we've done wrong. But then we can receive forgiveness we can receive peace in our hearts. So I just want to pray now, if there's anybody in that position who wants to give Jesus a chance to change their lives, I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came into the world to save me. I thank you, Lord, that you cared about me so much that you were willing to take upon yourself the punishment for my sins that I should have paid. And Lord, I believe that you did that. I believe in you. And I ask you now, forgive me for the sins that I've committed. Change my heart. Come in and help me to live as a child of God an heir to the promise that God has for me. Lord, I'm willing to put aside all the past and think only of who you are now and look forward to a future in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And for the rest of us who have already made that decision, help us, Lord, to be aware not only 
of the privileges and the rights that we have as your children, but also to be mindful of the duties and the responsibilities that you have given us here on earth to do your will to the best of our ability. Help us each day, Lord, to seek your will that we may truly behave as those who are dutiful children and heirs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.